0: Good to be here with you this morning. If you will go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. Oklahoma. Indian territory, right? Uh, To one of my friends from England, it sounded like such an adventure to come to Oklahoma. Native Americans, teepees, buffaloes, cowboys, uh, the Wild West. I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? Well... The reality is, all too well known to you, it's, uh, it's quite different than that, right? Um, Oklahoma is a land of adventure, but not that one. Uh, it's more of an adventure in reality, right? Uh, there's, those Wild West days are long gone, and we've turned into one of those flyover states, or perhaps maybe a, a drive-through state. Um, really, all you have to do is ask somebody from Texas, and they'll tell you how exciting Oklahoma is, Right? So, but my friend Andrew, he, he didn't know that, uh, or at least he had a hope of a glimpse of, of the, 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 the past, and so the harsh reality of normal life in the United States uh, set in on him once he was here. Uh, it was much like the rest of the U.S., uh, but without the big cities and the entertainment opportunities that come in those big cities. Uh, it was not what he had hoped for, right? We will find something similar in the book of Genesis chapter 4. Something is going to be not as it was hoped for. So over the last few weeks we've been uh, talking about Adam and Eve and uh, how they bought into the deception of the serpent, thinking that there was a way of life that was better than what was offered by the Lord, yet it turned out not to be so right. It turned out to not be what they had hoped it would be. And so today, we're going to see the same reality lived out in Cain, leading to tragic consequences. So if you would stand with me as we look at Genesis chapter 4 this morning, if you are able and willing to stand in the honor of God and the reading of his word, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1 and read through 16. This is the word of the Lord. Now Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord and again she bore his brother Abel now Abel was a keeper of sheep of the ground of, of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground in the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought to the fir- of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions So Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, not leaving us to our own devices to try to interpret or determine who you are and what you require. And Father, as we look at this passage in Genesis this morning, may we be reminded of the reality of sin, the sin in the life of Cain, the sin in our own lives, the sin that has corrupted this world and made it something that it is not supposed to be. Father, may we see the consequences of sin, the heinous reality of it, and its offense to you. Lord, may we see your grace extended to us, uh, even in this passage. So, Father, give us wisdom as we study your word this morning. God, may you be glorified and made much of as we read and understand and comprehend who you are and God respond to who you are, and give you the worship that you alone are worthy of for who you are. So, Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at the passage this morning, uh, there's just a couple of things we want to to do as we walk through this. Um, First off, if I can find my notes, too many pages. First off, uh, the setting, right? As we go through this, this is just a a narrative passage, and we're going to kind of look at this narrative passage in in four areas. The first is going to be the setting, and we'll look at that in verses 1 through 5. The second is the warning in verses 6 and 7. The third is Cain's response to God. And we'll look at 8 through 10. It, It actually encompasses a little more than that. Uh, but then in the, the, the fourth and final thing we'll look at is God's response in verses 11 through 16. So that's kind of a map of what we're going to do this morning. And so let's go ahead and start with just what is the, the setting here of our story? Well, ultimately, the setting of the story is, is worship in, a, in an interesting way, right? Um, this is what brings about all of the, the issues with um, Cain's sin, And so let's just kind of jump in here and and think about this. So let's start off with Eve. As we look at the, the very first verse here, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So think about this. This is the first child ever born that we know of, right? The best we can tell. Never in the history of human race has there ever been a birth so we can understand eve's excitement in the fact that she has gotten a man right uh, this is really interesting language and there's all kinds of things to talk about there but but she's gotten a man right she's had a child she's had that child with the help of the lord and she's excited about it well parents you can you can remember back to the first time you saw your son or daughter right uh, i i remember uh, harris methodist harris methodist hospital in uh, Fort Worth, when, when Rachel was born, and, and just that first time you get to meet your child, and uh, oh, it's just a fun time, isn't it? It's just joyous. And so here's Eve, and she's in this joyous moment, excited that here is my son. I mean, think about the months, or, or perhaps even the years of expectation that have coincided with the happy occasion, right? And now, then, think about when, when we're talking about Adam and Eve. And the predicament that they are in with the fall, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, and, and the fact that they've been sent out of the Garden of Eden, their relationship with God has been broken by their own disobedient sin, right? The ground has been cursed, there would be pain in childbearing, death has entered the world, and things were not the way they were supposed to be. And yet there was hope. Remember Mike talked about this last week. Do you remember last week's sermon in Genesis 3.15 where where in the curse of the serpent and it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between the offspring and your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The offspring or seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. In fact, he would crush it, right? And so now the woman has a seed. Do you see some extra excitement here? Not only is this excitement and joy over the birth of a son, but it's excitement and joy over the birth of a seed. And could it be that he is the seed? Could he be the one? So I hope you you feel the tension mounting as the passage progresses here. Eve has gotten a man. She's gotten a man with the help of the Lord. God said he would deliver, and he has. Months, perhaps years, of expectation are realized as, oh, finally the seed is here or a seed is here, and it could be the one that crushes the head of the serpent. But let's think about that seed for a minute. Let's look at Cain and what it it tells us here in chapter 4 about Cain. First off, uh, we learn he's a chip off the old block, right? Um, he's just like his father. Um, Cain's a worker of the ground, and this is a commendable trade. Uh, in fact, this is a, a trade that's given to Adam by God back in Genesis 3.23 when God says Therefore, or says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to do what? To work the ground from which he, he was taken. And so as Adam and Eve are sent out from the garden, he has a task to do, and it's to work the ground. right? I, I think about this, this, this picture here in Genesis, or Genesis chapter 4 of Cain and Abel and, and so often the discussion between farmers and ranchers right? And, uh, and, and the use of land and all of those kind of things. Uh, and, and so what we have here with Cain and Abel is here's, here's a guy that's a farmer and his, his brother's going to be a rancher or whatever you do when you have sheep. He's a shepherd, I guess, I don't know, a sheep ranch, whatever you call those things. Um, And and so that's what we have here, right? And so Cain, he's just like his dad. His dad worked the ground, Cain works the ground. That's not a bad thing. We also learn he has a brother, right? He has a brother named Abel. Uh, Abel never speaks in the Bible while he's alive. He simply keeps the sheep and makes offerings to the Lord. That's all we really know about Abel for the most part. Keeps his sheep, makes offerings to the Lord. What else do we learn about Cain? Well, Cain has an anger issue. Like his brother, Cain also... I'm sorry, he's like his... Sorry. (laughs) He has an anger issue. And and one of the things we learn here in chapter 4, if if you'll look with me, um, it says uh, in the course of time in verse 3... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering in uh, 3 and 4. And so one thing we learn here is that Abel, he keeps his sheep, he offers to the Lord, and uh, Cain is just like his brother. He makes an offering to the Lord as well, right? Yet his offering is not acceptable to the Lord, we find in verse 6. The Lord said uh, in verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So why is that? What is it about Cain's offering that, that causes God not to have regard for it? This question often sidetracks people as they look at the, 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 this passage, and it really it, it keeps you from focusing on the main point of what's going on. But let's just talk about this for a second. Some people would speculate that it's because the offering of Cain was not a blood sacrifice. His his came from the fruit of the ground. So some scholars, some uh, Bible teachers, would say, well, it's because there's no blood involved. Other scholars would say it has to do with the quality of the sacrifice. Uh, we we might uh, remember that uh, at this point there is no command to offer only blood offerings to God at this time, and in fact, at any time is that actually ever? A command. Uh, what is at issue here is what perhaps did the offering. Uh, what is at issue is what purpose did the offering serve, and we're not told that in Genesis 4. And so we we contemplate: Is it because there was no blood? Was it because of the quality of the offering? Uh, is, is what's the purpose of the offering? You know, later on in Israel's history, we'll see a detailed instruction of what offerings were acceptable to the Lord and what their purposes were. Uh, but we can go amiss if we assume a specific purpose for Cain's offering when in fact we're not told what that purpose is. And so we we do know from Leviticus chapter two that offerings from the field are acceptable. And so I would I would hesitate to say that, oh, it's because it wasn't a blood sacrifice or a blood offering. Um, it could be that the quality of the sacrifice was insufficient, right, as we said just a minute ago. Uh, when you look at the text, it does seem to draw contrast between uh, the offering of Abel and the offering of Cain. When it talks about Abel's offering, notice the way it words it. It talks about it being... Uh, of the firstborn of his flock, right? Uh, and he's offering of their fat portions. It's like the best of the best in the picture of, of Abel's offering. In the picture of Cain's offering, it's simply he brought to the Lord an offering. That, that's it. He brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So it could very well be a quality issue. Abel's is noteworthy, while Cain's is perhaps rather run of the mill. But there are two things we do definitely know here. First, Cain does not do well. Right? When we look at Genesis 4-7, we see that if he does well, he'll be um, uh, accepted. Uh, but he does not do well. He does not act righteously. And the second comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, when it says, "...by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain." "...through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks." And this is how Abel still speaks, right, through his faith and the offering that he gave. And so these are things we do know about the offerings and what's going on there. Uh, Another question that sometimes sidetracks people is, how did Cain and Abel know their offerings were acceptable? Again, if we're not careful, we'll miss the bigger picture of the text... Uh, We do know, uh, we do not know for sure, some speculate that fire came down and consumed the offerings. That's just a guess. Um, We're not told again, uh, and, and again, this is not really the focus of the passage, right? So the text is not very interested in why Cain's offering was rejected or how he knew. Rather, the text is very interested in how he responds, Right? And so as we look at this setting here, and, and it's kind of setting up what, what's going on in the rest of the, the passage, we need, to, we need to focus in on this, that what we're looking at is how does Cain respond to the fact that his offering is rejected by the Lord? And so we think about this, we think about what we're told about Cain, and we have to ask ourselves, could he be the serpent crusher? Well, if so, he sure seems to be getting off to a bad start, Right? He is a chip off the old block just like his father and perhaps he's a little too much like his father. And so as we move from the setting and we look at the warning, secondly, what do we note here? One of the things we note is as Cain's offering is rejected, God shows him some fatherly love. He does not accept Cain's offering but he also gives Cain the remedy for the problem. And so we see here in 6 and 7 God's response, here, God's warning here, right? And so God's warning is, uh, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Now note here, just the love of the father and the fact that he gives the warning, right? He, he has, has given the remedy to the problem. He says, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So you want to remedy the, the, the issue, Cain? Do well. It's fatherly correction, right? And it just goes like this. Don't be angry. Do well. It's that simple. You've ever tried to discipline your kids, right? And and you're just like, just act right, be nice, do well, and and don't get angry about it, and everything's going to be fine. And it just never works, does it? I mean, you tell them, and you're like, just don't do that. That's all. That's all it requires. Don't do that. And and anyway, we struggle with that. God struggles with that. God struggles with it, but God faces the reality of sinful men doing the exact same thing. Don't be angry, do well. It's that simple. Yet there's a struggle because man knows good and evil, right? If we look back into Genesis chapter 3, we realize that man knows good and evil. Prior to Adam's fall, he knew only good. But now evil has entered the picture, and in Cain's case, it crouches at the door. He could act unrighteously upon his anger, gratifying his selfish need to be justified in his self-pity, going to the place that he thinks will bring him satisfaction, but in the end it will not be what he thinks it will be. God, in his mercy, has pointed Cain to the imminent danger that he faces, right? He says, don't give in to your anger. Don't feed it. Rather, rule over it or master it. It's as if he were saying, Cain, you have a choice, Don't go where you want to go. It's not what you think it will be. Cain is responsible for his actions. Now, we would do well to heed God's instructions here that we not give in to desire, that we don't give birth to sin. I mean, listen to what God tells us in the book of James in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In Cain's case, there's a very literal aspect to this, right? The death of Abel. But for all of us, there's a spiritual reality in this verse. God calls his people to resist temptation and to flee from it. We are held accountable for our actions. We are called to live holy lives in 1 Peter 1, right? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is God's warning to to Abel, I'm sorry, to Cain. Don't be angry, do well, that's it. A gracious warning from a father who loves his children. The third thing we see here, after we see the setting, and then we see the warning of God, we see Cain's response. In verses 8 through 10, And Cain's response, is nothing more than sin-soaked soil. This brings us to the focus of the passage. How will the seed of woman respond here? Will he be the one to crush the serpent's head? Sadly, no. Cain, the seed of the woman, as we are told in 1 John 3.12, is actually a son of the serpent. He is of the evil one. In Cain, the seed sides with Satan. For Cain is not the Messiah. Cain, like so many firstborn sons in Genesis, is not the chosen one. James Hamilton, in his book, um, he he notes this phenomenon, uh, and he says this, he said, Cain killed Abel. Esau wanted to kill Jacob, and Joseph's brothers hated him and wanted to kill him. It's a common problem in the book of Genesis. Cain's response is to give in to sin. He is not the seed of the woman. He is only a seed of the woman. His response is to soak the soil with the blood of his brother Abel. And notice that Abel is referred here in this passage to as Cain's brother seven times. This is not because God was afraid we wouldn't get that bit of information, right? It wasn't like God's like, man, Matt's kind of dense, and I better throw the fact in that he's his brother again and again and again. But rather it's to point out the heinous reality of Cain's sin. He would kill even his own brother. Why? To satisfy his own self-pity. His brother has become a sacrifice unto himself. He is a sacrifice to Cain's way of life. He is a means to the way Cain wants to live. It's all about him. So why? Why does he kill him? What what did Abel do? Well, he offered an acceptable offering to God. That's it. He pleased God. Cain would rather please himself than see God-pleased. So here in Cain and Abel, we see already the battle between the seed of the woman and the serpent. It's a battle to the death. It's a battle for blood. And it is blood that will ultimately bring the victory. But it's not the blood of Abel, right? The blood of the one yet to come, the seed of the woman, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Look at Cain's response to God when God comes questioning him of his brother's whereabouts. I do not know. Liar. He's a son of the father of lies. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, Cain assumes the answer to be no, right? Well, of course I'm not my brother's keeper. Cain thinks he can hide his actions from God. Sound familiar? Think back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The words of his father chip off the old block. Sins against God, hides. Cain sins against God and his brother, hides. I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't know where he's at. Chuck Swindoll reminds us, a secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Never forget that. Whatever we might hide on earth is fully known to God. Cain can't hide from God. Neither can you. God knew what Cain had done. God knew where Abel was, just as he knew where Adam was in the garden. God knows your sin. God knows your comings and your goings. He knows your thoughts and your actions. He knows the intent of your heart better than you do. You cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. So let me ask you this morning, how will you respond to your sin? Here's an important thing to think about as we continue on in Cain's response. Cain was, in fact, his brother's keeper. Now, we would do well to understand that our sin has multiple dimensions to it. We sin against God, right? Yet we also sin against our brother. And so when we think about Adam and Adam's sin against God, we just see that magnified even more when we get to Cain because now Cain's sin is against God and against his brother. Cain... And his sinful disobedience leads to the death of his brother to feed his own selfishness. He has a responsibility to his brother, his very family, an image bearer of God, and we too are our brother's keepers. Let me ask you, do you allow your sinful desires to get in the way of caring for your brother? Do you fail to care for the family God has given you? Do you do that so that you might fulfill your own dreams and desires? Is sin crouching at your door in the form of family neglect? Is self-interest more important to you than the good of others? We can also fail our brothers and sisters in Christ by failing to use our gifts to build up the body, by neglecting to meet together, by not helping our brothers and sisters in needs. Do not give in to the sin of Cain. You may not murder them, But you can refuse to be your brother's keeper and thereby disobey God. Now notice the only witness to take the stand in God's case against Cain is the blood of Abel. Abel doesn't speak. Abel's dead. Only his blood speaks. The testimony of Abel's blood is enough to convict, though. But the blood of Christ, the coming seed of the woman, is enough to save. We need not live a life apart from God. Worshiping self rather than the Creator. For Jesus Christ has come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And if we live like and if we like Abel have faith in God and his seed, Christ Jesus, we can be rescued from our sin. For sin is deserving of death. And Jesus took upon himself that death. So that when we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, his righteous life is given to us. Our, our world is filled with chaos. The chaos of, of a world ripe with sin, a, a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, Sidney Graydanis says it well, and this is a, somewhat of a lengthy quote, but hear me here. He says, Today we see this evil chaos east of Eden. In the human race, in the enmity between peoples, races, religions, and nation-states, wars, slavery, religious persecution, racism, we see this chaos in the swollen bellies of malnourished children, in people dying from cancer, Ebola, and other diseases and disasters, in the thousands of refugees fleeing their home countries, hundreds of them drowning as they cross dangerous seas in flimsy boats, we see this chaos in the violence perpetrated by drug cartels, in the senseless murder in our inner cities, in the rape of women and children, and in the spread of terror organizations whose goal is to destroy people, nations, and cultural, cultural treasures. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But there is a Savior in Christ that will restore order. So Cain's response is to side with Satan. But the next thing we see is God's response. We look in verses 11 through 16. Um, we see some of Cain's response continued, and, and we'll address that here in just a second, and then we'll, we move into to what God has to say. So as, as we talked about earlier, Cain's response is lying and a rejection of responsibility, right? He says, I don't know where my brother is. I'm not my brother's keeper is what he implies in the question. And God says, you know where your brother is, and you are your brother's keeper. And so what's God's response to Cain's lying and rejection? Well, it's a curse upon Cain, right? We look um, at 11 and 12, And now you are cursed from the ground which which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. And so Cain chooses. Sin's crouching at his door. Cain sides with sin. The seed sides with Satan. And sin soaked soil. In chapter 3, it was the serpent in the ground which was cursed. Now here, the curse is spoken to a man, we are told by one commentator. And if we look at verses 13 and 14, I just want you to note something about Cain's continued response in the midst of God's response. He says here in 13 and 14, he says, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. What does that communicate to you? Repentant heart over the loss of a brother? Sickened by your own choices? No. Repentance doesn't seem to be his focus, only his punishment. And, his, and it's felt injustice, right? And so Cain complains that God is un, unjust or whatever the word would be, unjust in his punishment for his sin. And I, and I want you to, to note this, this part here especially. As we think about the reality of Cain's response is to side with Satan and God's response is to curse him but to curse him graciously. Do you, do you see that here? My sin is, and my punishment is greater than I can bear in 13. 14, uh, Cain goes on to say, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Oh, woe is me, is kind of the, the implication of what Cain is saying. And God says uh, two things to him here. He says, Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Stop feeling sorry for yourself, Cain. The the punishment is not too great, not too severe, and what you say will come to pass will not, in fact, come to pass because God is sovereign in control of all things. God knows what will happen and who will do what, and so he says that is not so. Stop feeling sorry for yourself, Cain. But the second thing he says here, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. In a very interesting way, we see the grace and mercy of God extended to Cain, the murderer of Abel. He complains about the the, the, the weight of his sentence, and God says, I'll protect you. I'll place a mark upon you that will mark you for life that will mark you as someone who is not to be killed. Do you see the grace of God extended to a murderer? And the reality that from all we can tell, he, he, never, he never receives that grace. He never understands that grace. He continues to feel self-pity and look to himself, and yet we see a gracious response from God. And that's just like what we saw in the last chapter when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the, the, the tree that they're not to. And what is God's response? Well, there's, there's a curse upon the serpent, right? And there's, there's pain in childbearing, and there's a curse upon the land. And then there's hope in 3.15 of the seed of the woman that will come and crush the head of the serpent. Grace. And so even here in the story of Cain, we see God judging the sin of Cain and showing grace at the same time. Think, in fact, think about the similarities between Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4. Uh, They both deal with fruit, right? We're talking about the fruit of the tree or the fruit of the ground. They both have to do about knowing, uh, knowing good and evil in Genesis chapter 3 or knowing the whereabouts of Abel in chapter 4. They they both have to do with evasion, right? Remember Adam, he says, oh, the woman you gave to me, which is really almost an accusation against God himself, right? Not even the woman. I'm going to blame the woman, but God, you gave her to me. And, and we see the similar thing here in 4. What's the evasion? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know where he's at. The ground is important in both of these stories, right? In, it's in, in chapter 3, the ground will produce, in, in pain shall you eat of it, right? And there will be thorns and thistles in the ground. And now the ground itself is cursed, or I'm sorry, Cain himself is cursed, and the ground will no longer yield its strength or its crops, its produce to him. Think about the grace of God in, in providing skins and coverings for Adam and Eve as they are hiding in there because they're ashamed of their nakedness. And in chapter 4, there's the, the, in the curse of Cain, there's the mark placed on him that is um, a, a, a sign of God's grace. There's curses involved, right? The curses in chapter 3 of the serpent in the ground, curse of Cain in chapter 4. And then everything happens east of Eden or ends up east of Eden, right? Adam's driven out and, and it seems to be he's driven out of the gate east on the east side of Eden and then here in uh, chapter 4 verse 16 we read that then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod east of Eden and the land of Nod happens to just be the land of wanderings, the only place that's mentioned in the Bible. And so we see these similarities that that here is a picture of our personal sin against God in Adam and Eve, and yet in chapter 4 we see that personal sin against God also influencing our reactions or our interactions with our brothers and sisters. And so sin has both a, a vertical element and a horizontal element, right? But God is responding, showing grace here, and the ultimate grace will come in fact When the seed of the woman does come, the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ. So as we think about the sin-soaked soil here and the reality that Cain, a seed of the woman, is sided with Satan, we look forward to the reality that there will be a seed. And praise God, we have the opportunity to look back and say, God provided the seed in Christ Jesus. And so there is forgiveness for our sins in Christ Jesus. We we don't have to give in to sin, that sin can be mastered in our lives, and it can be mastered by placing our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And today, if you do not know him, you can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. There is hope for you. There is hope for all of us because of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to fall under the curse of uh of sin we don't have to give in we don't have to follow in the in the in the, the the footsteps of cain we don't have to side with satan For we can be found in christ new creations by his work and to his praise and in his praise alone we can be redeemed and made new for his glory and honor and so i, I encourage you today to think about do you know the lord Have you just been playing church? Have you just been playing as a Christian? Are you familiar with Christian terms and and phrases? Do you know the Lord? And if you don't, to make today the day of salvation, place your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. I'd love to visit with you. I know Jeremy and David and others would love to visit with you. Uh, We're going to have a time of response here in a minute and and address that. But as we conclude here, I want you to think about these things. The sin-soaked soil of chapter 4 indicates that the seed of the woman has sided with Satan. And it's not what he, being Cain, thought it would be. He thought it would be great to do what he wants to do, to take care of himself and and to wallow in his self-pity, even to the point of sacrificing his brother to himself and his own desires. But it's not what he thought it would be. Adam and Eve thought that they could have knowledge of good and evil and, and, and be like God they couldn't, right? You can't be independent from the creator when you are the created. It will never happen. And so they look to something and they think it's going to be one way, but it's not really the way that they thought it would be. And praise God, when we look here in Genesis chapter 4, we just see a bit of a picture of the blood of Abel pointing us to the blood of Christ, where there's blood shed in the battle, there is blood that we find victory in in Jesus. And so may God be praised this morning for the blood of Jesus and the fact that we have victory in it. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for grace. Father, were we in Cain's position, we might well have done the exact same thing. So, Lord, may we, instead of passing judgment on him, may we take a moment to reflect on our own sin, our own rebellion and disobedience against you. Lord, may we understand that desire in our hearts and that desire and temptation leads to, to the birth of sin and sin leads to death. And so, Father, may that be cut off from us by repenting of our sins and placing our faith and trust in Christ alone this morning. And God, if we're here this morning and and we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, God, may you be praised and may we give you glory and may we be reminded that we live a life set apart for you. And you've called us to live a holy life and you bring about that holiness in us because we are in Christ. It's not something we manufacture. It's not something that we produce. It's by the very nature of abiding in Christ. And so may we abide in Christ and may we live for your glory and honor. God, when we are frustrated by our sin and and wearied by the fight, Lord, may we continue on in perseverance, knowing that what you have begun in our lives, you will bring to completion. And so, God, may you be glorified in all we do this day, throughout this week. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.